Welcome to Coogan Knows the Law, where we untangle the knots of complicated legal questions and break down legalese into plain English. I'm attorney Jim Coogan. Today's question is, what is wrongful death? We're going to break down that issue in a couple of different ways. First, we're going to talk about what is wrongful death. What does that mean in the law? What's the definition of a case that people hear about the term wrongful death? We'll also discuss why someone would file a wrongful death lawsuit. What can you get out of it? What's the legal purpose of such a case? And lastly, we will go over a new development in Illinois that applies specifically to wrongful death, a very big change in the law. Before we talk about this interesting, challenging subject, it's important to remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by the law firm of Coogan Gallagher. We take it very seriously that we represent people who are experiencing the kind of tragedy that is involved in a wrongful death case. And we have represented individuals and families in situations where there are allegations that the death was wrongfully caused by someone's negligence, by the negligence of a company or an individual. And if you have questions about a wrongful death case, or you believe that you may have a wrongful death case, you should give us a call, 312-782-7482, or you can find us at cgtrial.com. What is a wrongful death case? Wrongful death involves, obviously, someone has died. And when someone has passed away, if it is the result of some sort of crash, an incident, an accident, medical care, nursing home care, in those circumstances, the family, the spouse, the children, other family members that are left behind, the heirs to that deceased person, may have a wrongful death claim. It specifically applies to situations where the death was the result of one of those kinds of incidents. In those circumstances, there could be some kind of a criminal action, murder and attempted murder and manslaughter and lesser degrees of reckless homicide cases. Those are brought in the criminal courts. Those are brought by state's attorneys. Those are brought by federal prosecutors. Those apply where the law enforcement side believes that a criminal act took place that resulted in someone's death. But a wrongful death case is completely different than that. Even though the death of a person could involve both a criminal prosecution and a civil case. But the civil case focuses not on the protection of the community or the punishment of the wrongdoer. Rather, it looks at the losses to the family, to the widow, to the widower, to the children of the deceased. A wrongful death claim is about the losses to that person. And in that circumstance, when you speak and consult with an attorney about that, that attorney is going to investigate whether something that seems as if, or there is a suspicion that the death was caused by some kind of act of negligence, whether the facts actually prove that. If it was the result of a vehicle crash, the next step is to look at whether the person who caused the crash was driving their vehicle negligently. Did they fail to follow the rules of the road? Were they impaired by using a cell phone or some other mobile device while operating their vehicle? Otherwise, in other circumstances like nursing negligence cases or medical negligence cases, the examination is what was the treatment involved? What happened? What was the person's condition going into the treatment? What happened in the course of whatever the care that was being administered, whether it was a surgery or some kind of hospital care or treatment for an infection or some wound? Did that treatment fall below the standard of care in such a way that caused that person's death or hastened their death? 
One of the most famous cases that people know of in the media, in American history, that educated a lot of Americans about the distinction between criminal prosecutions and wrongful death was, of course, the notorious O.J. Simpson case involving the death of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. And people who were around in the 1990s to watch this interesting spectacle very likely remember Ronald Goldman's father, Fred Goldman. He was on the news, he was on TV a lot as a passionate advocate for the loss of his son, as a grieving father who was mystified and deeply hurt by what he believed was clearly the conduct of O.J. Simpson in causing his son's death. And a lot of Americans remember, number one, that O.J. Simpson was acquitted, that the jury in the criminal case in Los Angeles County decided that he was not guilty of the murder of Nicole Simpson and the murder of Ron Goldman. But they may also remember that there was a very famous wrongful death claim brought by the Goldman family for the death of Ronald Goldman. And I think one of the reasons that it became so notorious in American criminal and civil justice history is because of how high profile the criminal case was in the first place. Not only was O.J. Simpson a spokesperson for national uh, advertising campaigns, Heisman Trophy winner when he was a college football player at USC, and a very famous football player in the NFL for the Bills and other teams during his NFL career. And then he was in movies. So being in Hollywood and Los Angeles in his post-NFL career, he was still very notorious. And a lot of people knew who he was. Once the criminal trial was underway and was televised, And all those characters became household names during that period of time. The prosecutors, the judge, Lance Ito, the defense attorneys led famously by Johnny Cochran, who between that and some of his other work as a criminal defense attorney became one of the most famous attorneys in the country. But F. Lee Bailey was also part of that criminal defense team. All of this, the entire situation, national news at any point in time and every step of the way and every development in the case was national news. So once the criminal case was over and the Goldman family was understandably incensed by the fact that the jury could not bring themselves to convict Mr. Simpson of the crime, brought their wrongful death case. And in that situation, they had the case, had a trial, had a jury verdict, and the jury awarded the family over $33 million in compensatory and punitive damages. And we're going to get back to that question of punitive damages in just a moment. But this was really one of the first, or at least one of the earliest times in my own life that I can recall learning about what a wrongful death case was. And for a lot of Americans, it was an introduction to the notion of there are civil cases surrounding a person's death. So that brings us to the second important point of the discussion. What's the purpose of these cases? So it's really not about safeguarding the community in the way that a criminal case is. Instead, it's about looking at the personal losses to the people that are left behind, whether it's the person's spouse or also their children, or in the absence of a living spouse, it would just be children. And sometimes that can include grandchildren, depending on whether a child may have died before the person who's the subject of the case. But the focus ends up being on the loss of that relationship. That's the reason why someone brings it, because their loved one was going to live another several years, or at least some number of years, based upon their life expectancy. So the law actually takes into account how many years the person may have lived. Sometimes the evidence in these cases will include the life expectancy based on actuarial tables because the government keeps statistics over how long people tend to live once they reach the age of 50 or 60 or 70 and so on. But the trials focus on the relationship. So they can be very difficult, gut-wrenching, 
emotional affairs because that son or daughter, that husband or wife, they have to testify about what they've lost, about the person that they held dear, about the time they spent together, about the things that they did together, the times that they would go fishing or play cards or family parties or vacations or just sitting around reading a book and the comfort and companionship that they had from that person that they loved so much. That ends up being the sorts of things that the jury hears about. That's the essence of educating that jury about what has been lost. And one of the changes that occurred in Illinois law about 10 years ago was previously, we had a lot of restrictions on the kinds of losses that could be discussed. So jurors were actually not allowed to hear about grief, about sorrow, which seems a little bit inhumane because those are the natural consequences of losing someone that you love. Those are the most significant emotional stages that a person goes through after losing a loved one. But the law evolved and made the change to acknowledge that it was artificial to keep out testimony about grief and sorrow. So now, if someone is unfortunate enough to lose a loved one in this state and it's over an act of negligence, a wrongful act that you can prove caused that death, the family, the loved ones who lose that person are allowed to discuss the way that it's affected them, the feelings that they have, the times that they remember the person that they lost and how that's just both a bitter and a sweet memory at this point. The last point for today's discussion is a new development in Illinois law based upon something that was actually just passed and recently went into effect in this state. Some states, like California, speaking of the O.J. Simpson-Goldman family wrongful death case earlier, you had always allowed for punitive damages in wrongful death cases. But Illinois was one of the states that did not allow for that. And in a way, you can understand it would be part and parcel with the restriction on grief and sorrow losses, that there was an institutional judicial philosophy in this state that really restricted the kinds of damages that a family could receive in a wrongful death case, probably because there's a presumption that the losses are just so great that the desire was to reduce the kinds of things that a jury would hear about. Or if you were of the defense persuasion, you'd say it's unfair for the jury to hear about emotional things because that's going to drive their emotions and their jury verdict is going to be driven by feelings. Sorry to say, feelings are part of the human experience. Grief and sorrow are part of the human experience when you lose a loved one. And while everyone eventually dies, that is part of the human condition, when it happens much earlier than it should have, at least my personal opinion is that grief and sorrow are natural parts of that experience. And if the defendant's responsible for it, they should be paying for it. So similar to that, Illinois law now allows for the jury to decide whether or not punitive damages are appropriate. But there's a couple important things to understand. Number one, punitive damages are not allowed in every negligence case. In fact, a lawyer and their plaintiff must prove more than just negligence for punitive damages to apply in any civil case. The requirement is that the conduct be much greater than just negligence. So in a case where someone stopped at a red light, and their vehicle is crushed by a vehicle that failed to stop for that red light, but it's really negligent conduct that caused it, punitive damages still will not apply, whether the person lived or were killed as a result of that crash. Instead, the next level, higher than negligent conduct, the plaintiff and their attorney actually would need to prove that there was wrongful conduct, something that recklessly disregarded the safety and the well-being of other people. They call it a willful and wanton act which sounds very severe. It sounds dark. 
It is because ultimately it requires that your attorney is going to be able to prove something much deeper. If that vehicle that rear-ended the victim there was not just watching their cell phone while they were driving, but they were watching a video and maybe there's evidence that they've been watching the video for an entire block. That could be evidence that the person just consciously disregarded the safety of anybody else that could be on the roadway and is so dangerous that there's an elevated level of wrongful conduct there. There will also be exceptions. It still will not apply to medical malpractice cases, which also may be appropriate. It's rare when someone's receiving medical care that a doctor or a hospital's conduct will rise to the level of willful and wanton conduct in the first place. Their whole job is to be caretakers, to be healers. So there are still some restrictions on this kind of thing, but it will apply to lots of other kinds of cases if the evidence shows that there was willful and wanton conduct, a conscious disregard for the safety of others. And there's another important point before we wrap this up, which is in those circumstances, punitive damages, just because they can be awarded, may not actually prove to be some sort of advantage to the family. What I mean is they're generally not going to be covered by any insurance policy. So at the end of the day, one of the important considerations that any lawyer like what we do here at Coogan Gallagher, any other civil plaintiff's lawyer who's representing a family in that circumstance has to take into account is, sure, you may get a verdict for punitive damages, but will it ever be worth anything? Going back to the Goldman family example for just a moment, a verdict against O.J. Simpson personally for wrongfully causing the death of Ronald Goldman would be something that he would have to pay for to the extent that he has money to pay for it. It's not about insurance at that point because he's just going out and, at least according to the evidence, stabbing people to death. In other circumstances, unless that individual who caused a crash or who operated their business negligently and wrongfully has a lot of assets, then the primary source to pay for any judgment is insurance. Insurance companies don't pay for punitive damages. They have exclusions for willful and wanton conduct. They only pay for negligent conduct. And if that seems like a very fine distinction, I guess that's another reason to remind you that these are the kinds of things that really do take some specific detailed legal analysis to get to the bottom of. So let's turn to our closing argument. Wrongful death cases are tragic and really get to the heart of the human experience. The ability to sue a wrongdoer for causing a wrongful death is an important tool in the law to prevent and disincentivize negligent conduct. It's also an important tool in the law to create a way to compensate the families of someone who they lost far too soon. And we're at a stage right now where Illinois law has evolved in a couple of different ways to better account for the kinds of losses that a family, that loved ones experience, and also to punish bad actors that do more than just negligent conduct. So if you have questions about a wrongful death case, if you want to get to the heart of and get down to the specifics of something that does require that detailed legal analysis, reach out to us. I'm Jim Coogan at Coogan Gallagher, and you can find us at cgtrial.com. And this episode has been produced by Ear4 Audio.